All right. <clears throat> I'm going to admit on the upfront, I'm a little sniffy this morning, which is never good uh, for a pastor, so um, I apologize uh, in advance. So that's all you're going to hear today. You're going to, a lot of that, and I'm sorry. <clears throat> but we are going to begin a series in James. Uh, the book of James will be in James chapter 1. In just a moment, we're going to read together James chapter 1, 1 to 4. But in fact, we will go through the entire book, our entire chapter 1 of the book of James uh, today. James is uh, a really interesting book for a number of reasons. First of all, James is the brother of Jesus. So we're getting a perspective. Uh, th- th- this James... The brother of Jesus is also the pastor in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, James is perhaps the oldest New Testament letter. Uh, so it, it, we, we have a version of it from about 40 or 50 uh, uh, AD, which is, it's, just, it's one of the oldest. It is considered kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. So it's, it's like, how do we live wisely as Christians um, in these days. And it is so apropos uh, to us today as we think about how do we live kind of a, a Christian life that is faith in action and not just hearing uh, and receiving content, but actually walking it out, uh, living it out. And I would say that that's one of our issues as the Church of Jesus Christ, the United States of America today, is that we're a church that hears, that we receive content, and we fill in the blanks but we don't often walk it out the way that the Bible teaches us to. It doesn't come out like it should in our hands and our feet. It's not new to us. This has been an issue uh, since the beginning. Uh, people want some of it, but not all of it. And James is saying, hey, we need to embrace all of it. So we're going to talk about walking out a faith that is a faith in action over these next uh, few weeks. While, while you're kind of finding your, cop, your, your place in your copy of God's Word, let me just say that you guys hurl good, goodness in lots of different directions all the time. And I, I just want to mention, uh, too, um, next week we have 52 people, not just from this church, but from all over the United States and really some globally, that are, uh, are, we are going to uh, embark on a journey to Israel. And there is, uh, there's one person going on this particular uh, trip that Angela and I have been connected with for a long time. Um, she's uh, been a missionary in very hard places, <clears throat> and uh, most recently was in Sudan. I don't know if you uh, have watched the news much, but if you know uh, what's been going on in Sudan, you would recognize that this particular individual had to flee where she was and to another country. Uh, she left everything. In fact, she called this weekend like, hey, can you just throw some jeans and clothes in a suitcase and bring it over because I don't have, I have what I have on my, on my back. And so she's going on this trip. But you guys gave the $5,000 that, that, that lets her go on this trip. And to me, that's a big deal for, for a church to say to a missionary who's doing really hard things, hey, let us give you a breath. You know, and so thank you for that. And then also, uh, you, you support a ministry <clears throat> here called God's Army that has sent veterans to Israel and Gold Star veterans to Israel uh, year after year after year. Um, and I could tell you story after story of uh, 
of guys who, and gals who, who went to Israel with PTSD and came back knowing Jesus and feeling his, his shalom. Uh, gold star families who wept uh, in places where they re- recognize they can grieve with hope because of their sons or daughters' faith um, that, that were killed in foreign, foreign wars. And you, you, you pay for all of that. You support them. And, you, you, you get, and I just want to say thank you. Um, you. You hurl goodness in ways you don't even sometimes uh, know or recognize. So thank you for that. All right, let's stand up and let's read James chapter 1. If you're our guest, we'll read 1 to, f- one, one to 4. If you're our guest... Uh, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading to distinguish God's word from my own. So here is what the scripture says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You can be seated. There are really, in James chapter 1, there are really two kind of significant handholds or two points that we need to hold on to today as we enter into the, to the rest of the book. And they're not lightweight. He doesn't enter uh, with an introduction that is sort of flowery and, um, you know, pithy and makes you laugh so that he can ease you into something. Instead, he just goes right to it. Uh, that's, that's kind of like any Jewish guy would, uh, would do. And that's what James has done here. And so the first thing that we learn in the book of James in section, the, the, the verses 1, 1 to 12 is that we need to remain joyfully steadfast in trials of various kinds. Joyfully steadfast in trials of various kinds. Now, that is exactly opposite of what the world would teach us and what our natural bent is. When we face trials of any kinds, our bent is anxiety. Am I right? You face a trial... Trial naturally gives birth to anxiety, and anxiety gives birth to sometimes chaos, uh, difficulty, more suffering, more depression, all of those kinds of things. That's kind of how our, our humanity works. That's how in the flesh, that's how we work. That's what the culture says. Like, you have a trial. It's okay. You should be anxious. But James is saying something completely different. Check it out in verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So here's what James is saying. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, instead of of trial equals anxiety, uh, plus manifesting all this chaos, consider it joy when you face trials. So his equation is you face trials, and so the natural outcome of that for the Christian should be joy. That makes no sense. Does it make sense to anybody in the room? The natural outcome of trials should be uh, joy. I'm asking myself, James, like, what in the world are you, what in the world are you talking about here? And he goes on. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So uh, a worldview that says, I'm facing trials, so I should be anxious and crawl in a hole, 
is different than I'm facing trials and that should bring me joy because it's going to produce steadfastness. And that steadfastness, one time I heard a guy use a word to describe this steadfastness. It's not even a real word, but it makes sense. Steadfastness is stick to Like I stick to it in a particular direction with strength even though I'm facing trials. Again, that's not like the world rolls, but what we learn here is that we consider it joy when we face trials because when it has its full effect, James 1.4, that steadfastness that we're having to push through with joy, that steadfastness having its full effect makes you perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Now again, counterintuitive, doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but James is saying, here's how it works. Uh, Paul echoes the same thing in Romans chapter 5, 2 to 5. Listen to what Paul says. And you know Paul, I mean, he's been beaten, shipwrecked, uh, put in prisons, all kinds of things. Here's what Paul says. Through him, meaning Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that's not what the world teaches us. It teaches us we suffer, we face anxiety, that causes depression. Uh, He says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Here's what I've noticed. People are averse to the kind of thing it takes to produce endurance. They hate it. We've got kind of a military theme going on today, so I'll use this as an example, but I'll clean it up. Because Jocko Willink, have you ever heard Jocko Willink, anybody? Uh, Maybe go look him up, maybe not, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but he, is, uh, he, he, he kind of focuses on leadership, but he's a former Navy SEAL. And he was speaking to these, these guys in the military and, and not using the language I'm getting ready to use. I'm going to use preacher language to, to make his theology a little more palatable. But he said, basically he said, when things stink, when they're really hard, when things really stink, I like it. And he said, all of the military, all of your training is to put you in positions that really stink so that when everybody else stops, when things really stink, you can keep going because you've learned to endure when things stink. And we're averse to that. We go through that in life where things are really difficult. They're sufferers. We face trials of all kinds. And when things are that way, you know, Paul is saying, like, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. If you stick to it and you endure through the trial, it produces character. It makes you better. And character produces hope. You realize you can go through hard things with the hope of Christ. See, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So Paul says the same thing James says. Like, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. It produces endurance. It it makes us learn how to endure. It gives us character. And in that, we find hope. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 1, 67. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Rejoice in it, 
So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, it is tested by fire. That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying like to a church that is facing persecution and suffering, hey, even though you're going through various trials and sufferings for a season right now, rejoice in it. Because it's going to produce a genuine faith in your life. Now, I, I'll make this observation from a very uh, Brian point of view. If you have faith without suffering, you have not yet learned what it is to have faith. If you have faith without suffering... You have not yet learned what it is to have faith. Peter is saying when you go through suffering, it produces a genuine faith. You might believe the content. You might understand the words. You might say, I've received Jesus into my heart. But when you take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him, and you go through those sufferous times, that faith produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and that character gives birth to hope, which allows Paul, people like Paul to say things like, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, it's a very different perspective. The world says when you face trials, move right to anxiety. The Bible says, and these heroes of our faith who were not perfect people, but they live this stuff out, they say, when you face various trials, have joy in it because it's going to produce character and endurance and hope and genuine faith. See, we just immediately want to go to Why, God, are you allowing all these things to happen? There is a godly usefulness of trials. And James, Paul, and Peter point this out. We also learn that in these trials, as we're remaining joyfully steadfast in in various kinds of trials, these are trials from the outside in. Okay, So we're not talking about things that we're causing in and of ourselves from the inside out. In this first part, we're talking about trials from the outside in, things that are happening, circumstances, things other people do to you. When these things happen, we seek wisdom from God. That's what James says. Like wisdom is the doorway to joy. Look at verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, he goes straight from, hey, have joy in your, in your uh, trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James just like says it exactly like it is. In trials, we seek wisdom from God, and wisdom is actually the doorway to joy in trial. Wisdom is required because we do not always know how to persevere in trial. Have you ever been in a trial, in a situation that was sufferous, difficult, you didn't know what to do? Anyone been there? We don't always know how to persevere. We don't always know how to go from, I'm in a trial, and so now I'm going to rejoice. We, you, know, you might try to fake it, put your happy face on, but we don't always know how to go from, this is a trial, 
How do I consider it joy? We need wisdom from God for that. That's the only place that we we will get it. Wisdom from God must be sought. And what James says is that when we seek wisdom, he gives it generously because of his kindness. He wants us to have the wisdom to move from trial to joy. And he gives that generously. The point, I think, of the trial is to make us, from a godly perspective, to make us a people who are apt to request wisdom from God in the midst of trial. Instantly. You know, we, when we get in trials, a lot of times we try a lot of different things to get ourselves out of the trials. And, and it's actually that that gives birth to anxiety. And what James is saying is like, you you face a trial, consider it all joy. Seek God for wisdom who gives it generously. Do it without doubting. Go right to him. Have faith in him. And he will help you move from trial to joy in the midst of that trial. And, And notice again, it doesn't say he's going to take us out of the trial. He actually, in fact is uh, using trials of various kinds in our lives to mature us. Wisdom is from God. It must be sought in the midst of trial. The whole point, maybe, of the trial is that we would learn to request wisdom in the midst of trial. There's a warning against double-mindedness here. The double-mindedness is uh, people who say they're a people of God who get in a trial and instantly uh, don't pursue the wisdom of God or think, I'm not even going to ask God because I don't think he's going to do anything. Who begin to ask the question like, why would God even make this happen to me? That's double-mindedness. We say till it hurts. We say, uh, I love God. Uh, we say, I trust him for our salvation, my salvation, my redemption, the Holy Spirit's with inside of me, I'm bringing all my addictions, I'm bringing, you know, all this stuff to the foot of his cross, I'm doing that, but then when it hurts, we become double-minded, and that gives birth to temptation, which is actually the second part of the book of, uh, the first chapter of the, the, the book of James. And so we have to pursue wisdom and not, we can't be double-minded, but we ask in faith, believing he will give wisdom. Um, Do you know that James warns us there is no middle ground between faith and unbelief? And I think that's important for us to realize because I think many times we get to a trial, we think to ourselves, um, well... I'm going to handle it these particular ways because I don't know that I can trust God to really rain fire from heaven like he did from Elijah, for Elijah, or part the Red Sea like he did for Moses, or, um, you know, raise me from the dead at the end of my life uh, like he did Jesus. I don't know if I can trust him for those things, so I'm going to take kind of a a second path, maybe a, a different way. I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll let God, you know, that. remember that bumper sticker that people used to have, like, Jesus is my co-pilot? That's really bad theology, right? Like, like I don't want Jesus to be the co-pilot while I'm in control. 
I'd rather him be in control, you know, but, but, but that's kind of what we do is we say, I'm going to, I'll take control. Um, you be here, you know, bless my plan. And then I'll, I'll, I'll move, move forward in this particular way. It actually gives birth to anxiety. And so again, James is just saying, Hey, if any of you lack wisdom, which we all do in trial, uh, come to God and ask him for wisdom. He gives it uh, generously. And then in verse 12, he just reminds us again to remain steadfast. Um, if, you, if you look at verse 12, blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is a futuristic perspective. James is reminding, remember, James is the brother of Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. Who wants to be Jesus' brother? <laughs> First, you know, like, who's the favorite in that family? I mean, I, I, I don't know. The one who never sins or all the rest of them, you know? I don't know. Um, second, uh, when Jesus becomes to, comes to fame. And, uh, you know, James is of the brothers, like, he's from Nazareth like the rest of us. You know? And these people are following Jesus all around. Could there have been jealousy? Maybe. I don't know. Then he gets crucified for insurrection, and you're his brother. Are you lumped into that category too? What kind of fear, what kind of anxiety do you have? All that kind of thing. He gets put in a, in a tomb, and then on the third day is raised. You see him raised, and you remember he said this would happen. And you recognize, my brother is the son of God. And he doesn't, he doesn't introduce the book, James, a servant of God and the brother of, the Lord, of Jesus. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one calls their brother Lord unless they see him resurrected from the dead. He becomes this pastor in Jerusalem. And every, you know the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? He has a, a, a huge hand. And what's going on with the propagation of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. And his take is when you face trial, remain steadfast and remember there's an eternity waiting for you and a, and a promise. And he talks about uh, this reward of eternal life, this crown of life. Like no matter how bad the trial is, you live forever. Just like my brother. See, because of my brother. The Lord Jesus Christ. So this is his, his, his admission to us, remain steadfast. And I would say to you, people of God in the United States of America, in this season that we live in, you need to learn endurance. You need to learn to remain steadfast in trial. All of that will produce character and it will give you hope and it will also burn brightly as the light of the gospel in a very dark time. So we will face various trials. We do face various trials from the outside in. But there's a second kind in the book of James. Uh, second thing that we face, and that is, he, that is temptation. And if you look at verses 13 to 27, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts 
He himself tempts no one. So this is the second big handhold for the, the sermon today. The, if, if the first is consider it joy when you face trials, the second is reject self-deception when facing temptation rooted in personal desire. Reject self-deception when facing temptation rooted in personal desire. Don't be deceived about God and your own temptation. We talked a lot about spiritual warfare and temptation and all those kinds of things uh, over the last four or five weeks. And I, I said to you, there's three things we're up against. The world, that's temptation from the outside. The flesh, that's temptation from the inside. And the devil, that's spiritual warf- warfare. James is talking about your own flesh, your own personal desires, the things that tempt you, that you're uh, apt to sin uh, accordingly because of these uh, temptations. Um, this is temptation originated, originated from the inside. It is our provocation to sin. So don't be deceived about God and your temptation. A lot of times when people go through trial, they are tempted to sin because of how they're wired, what they've sinned with before. And they realize like, okay, I'm going to medicate the pain and difficulty of this trial with a particular sin. I'll get a, a relief. And what they find is no relief. Oftentimes they say, well, God gave me this trial and it's led me into this temptation and what am I supposed to do? And James is saying to them, don't be deceived. Don't have bad theology about God and your temptation. A lot of temptation comes from within you personally. You can either seek wisdom in trial or you can give way to temptation in trial. There are two different paths. Don't be deceived about God and your temptation. When we don't persevere in trial with wisdom that comes from God, we usually run to sin. Those are the two paths. He goes on to say this. Uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 19 of James chapter 1. When we're thinking about trial, and we're going through temptation, and we're seeking wisdom, because it's not, it's messy, right? When you go through a trial, and you begin to feel all these things, and think all these things, and try to, try to walk the way that you're supposed to walk when you're going through a trial, and and you're feeling tempted, and, and you're, you know you're supposed to seek wisdom, what, what do you do? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is nothing new for James. He's saying, in order to find wisdom, you have to listen. In order to find wisdom, you have to listen in the midst of the trial. Not listen to your flesh, not listen to the internal workings of your heart, a lot of times I'll hear people say things like, like God told me, God, God gave me this, God said to me that, God blah, 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 blah. I'm like, where, when, how? Uh, uh, it was a dream. It was a sign that I saw. It was whatever. I think God speaks in dreams and gives people signs all the time. But if you only hear God in dreams and never hear God in his word, you're not listening. I promise you, you're not. Your psyche will create dreams. Uh, dreams are mysterious things, but it, it will create dreams to, to kind of go with the narrative of your life. 
You'll find signs. You'll thread things together. Like, look what God said to me. I saw a cross in the clouds, and I know that I'm supposed to, whatever. What James is saying is that you need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to, slow to anger. He's just uh, saying, like, shema. Like what Moses said to the people, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like, listen, shema, listen and obey. Uh, This is not new for James. It may be new for us. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. The wisest people are the people who know how to listen. Wherever wisdom is the goal, in the midst of trial that produces joy, you have to stop and listen. How many of you are quick to anger in a trial? Come on. This is, yeah. Uh, be, it says quick to hear, not quick to anger. How many of you are quick to speak in a trial? <laughs> James, they, he had this problem in his church. He says, don't be quick to hear. I mean, don't be quick to speak. Don't be quick to anger. Be slow to speak. Slow to anger. Be quick to hear. Wherever wisdom is the goal, it's, it's listening. That is the virtue. And trials, be ready listeners and slow commentators. Ready listeners and slow commentators. I have a problem with this. I want to fix everything fast. Make the trial go away. So here's what you do. Take two of these and call me in the morning. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first vir- virtue. So he says, temptation, it originates from the inside of us, not from God. Don't be deceived. Go chase wisdom, not temptation. Secondly, if you're chasing wisdom, you're going to have to listen, and you're going to have to shut your mouth, and you're, you're going to have to control your emotions. Be self-control. Here's the third thing he says. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the word, James 1, 20 to 21. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you realize in a trial when I actually get angry, it does nothing good? Let's just, let's just head nod on that one. In a trial, when I get angry, it does nothing good. It doesn't produce the righteousness of, of God. Instead, we reject anger in trials. It, it doesn't produce righteousness. And, and James is using this language that says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It's kind of like saying, hey, change your clothes. In the midst of a trial, put off the, the, the rampant wickedness, put off the anger, take it off, and put on with humility the, the word of God that we receive with meekness. Meekness is, is like humility and strength together. I, I receive it because it's from God. This is the wisdom of God, which is able to save your soul. Uh, no signpost, no dream is going to save your soul necessarily, although I've, I've heard many Muslims who've had dreams of Jesus and come seeking the word. Sometimes it works that way. If a dream drives you to the word, praise Jesus. But if you stop at the dream, stop at the signpost, stop at the weeping statue or the cross clouds in the sky, you've missed it. 
James says that in a trial, then we need to receive with meekness the word which is able to save our souls. We put off, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and re- we receive the word. And then he describes it like this in James 1, 22 to 25. He says what we say all the time, hear it and obey it. Hear and obey the word. Hear it and obey it. Hear it and obey it. Hear it and obey it. You know, they teach us in repetition seven times. Uh, you'll remember it. Maybe you will. Hear it and obey it. Disciples of Jesus were really different than, than people that absorb content. Disciples of Jesus, they're able to receive the word of God. And as believers, they do what the word requires them to do. That's what, that's what characterizes them as a believer. Not, I mean, anybody can study the text. But not everybody walks it out. Uh, a disciple of Jesus, like, like Paul we mentioned, like James we're reading here, like Peter that we mentioned, like many of you, a disciple of Jesus walks it out, comes out in their hands and their feet. We hear it and obey it. Listen to what James says, beginning in uh, verse 22. Um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So this isn't just an American church problem. This was a problem in, in his church. He's, he's admonishing them to hear and obey. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, I mean, what are you like? Are you that one that, like, you look in the mirror, and you uh, see yourself, and then you walk away, and you forget what you look like instantly? Jesus said it another way in Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. He was teaching his disciples the same concept. And he said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a wise man who built his, I mean, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So that's everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. But then he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house in the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is like, there's two kinds of people, people who hear my words and do them and people who hear my words and don't do them. The ones who hear and do, they, they build on a strong foundation. They aren't, they, aren't, they aren't tossed around by the difficulties of trials. But the one who hears and doesn't do them, when trial comes, they find chaos. They find calamity. They, they, they find destruction. James is saying the same thing. He probably heard Jesus say stuff like this. He, Don't be the one who hears the word and then doesn't do it. That's like looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like one second later. That's a great way, a very cordial way of saying you're foolish. That's foolish. So we hear it 
and obey it. Again, I said, James, you know, he doesn't beat around the bush. He, he wants, in chapter one of this letter that he's writing, he wants the, 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 those that have been dispersed, that are following Jesus, he wants them to know, like, you need to be joyfully steadfast in trials and temptations. They are facing trials and temptations at every level in, in the dispersion. The Roman occupation, culture, the flesh and temptation that comes with Roman culture that they're facing, all the opportunities to, to kind of be half a Christian and half something else, uh, all the opportunities to do things that the world says it's okay to do, all the trials when they say, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to live like a Christian, and, and the Roman occupation uh, persecuted them, the culture persecuted them because of it, they're facing all of that. What you and I are going through as citizens of the United States of America in a shifting culture is not new to Christianity. We're seeing things happen in different ways. Like, like if you're my age, you're like, that would have never happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. If you're 80, I don't know how you're like thinking. My goodness, right? Things have changed a lot. It's, we're more Roman now than we ever were. But Christianity can handle that. Christ can handle that. It was birthed in that. It propagated those cultures. The kingdom expanded in the midst of it. There's no hope in any of that. But do you know where there's hope? When the world sees a Christian who endures a trial. And they endure that trial. And that trial produces joy because they sought wisdom from God. And they found that he walks with them in the midst of trial And they considered it joy, and that joy produced character, endurance, and that gave birth to hope. It's ultimately the reason you probably came to Christ, because you you learned of one who never sinned. It wasn't just for him to be punished, and yet he was crucified for insurrection, he, he had that thought in the midst of trial. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Temptation toward anxiety. Difficult. It, it, it was awful. He's hung on a cross. He endures, but endures the cross, despising the shame of the culture, of the people that were, that were spitting at him, mocking him, all those kinds of things. He's put in a tomb. He's dead. He looks utterly defeated. There is no hope. And yet he raises and 500 people see him. He sends to heaven and gives us the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm coming back again. And people like James who saw all of that say, because of him, consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, when you face trial, various trials of any kind. Because those kinds of trials, they produce steadfastness. You ever thought about what kind of steadfastness Jesus had to have to leave the north of Israel and march toward Jerusalem, walk into the city knowing he would be crucified, give the Passover knowing that it was his body and it was his blood, go to Gethsemane and wait for Judas to show up, quiet the disciples and allow himself to be arrested, take the 39 lashes of the flogging, walk what we now call the Via De La Rosa to the, what is now the Church of the Holy Sepulcher or the place of Golgotha, allow himself to be crucified and die. What kind of steadfastness do you have to have? I mean, who wouldn't run sometime in there? That's steadfastness. 
Also, we learn of our God, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. And what we're learning is James is saying to us, hey, let steadfastness have its full effect. It will produce, in fact, perfection. We don't feel it. it doesn't, trials don't feel good. But that's how God uses you and I in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty. Who signs up for that? Everybody signs up for the little Jesus that says, hey, I love you, and when you die, I'll be there to meet you. We go to heaven, to the place I prepare for you. Nobody signs up for, hey, when you face various trials, consider it pure joy. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, They hated me, so they're going to hate you. They killed me, so they're going to kill you. Nobody signs up for that. That is Christian discipleship. (laughs) See? So let me say this. Let steadfastness have its full effect in your life. Those trials, those difficulties, those deep valleys, seek wisdom from God in the midst of it and consider it joy, understanding that one day you will receive a crown of life and walk. He will be with you, and he will produce in the midst of that endurance. And this is the Christian life. That's what James said, not what Brian said. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your, your, your example of what it means to consider it joy when we face trials of various kinds. Thank you that we can come to you and you give wisdom generously in the midst of trial. Thank you that you use trials in our lives to produce endurance and steadfastness and character and hope. Thank you that there is a promised eternity, a crown of life awaiting people who go through trial and seek wisdom. Um, Lord, make us a church who burns brightly for the sake of the gospel as we walk through trials. I can tell, like James wanted, the the people that were dispersed throughout to know, like, it's going to be okay. So consider it joy. Give us that heartbeat. Give us that, that power by your Holy Spirit. Give us other people in our lives to hold us up and help us consider it joy as we're going through. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are in various trials right now. God, would you bring them peace? Would you bring them joy? Would you bring them wisdom in the midst of it? And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.